You really should do audio warm-ups. I've got droop. Before. I've got drooping issues. Have you? <laughs> Please yes. tell me that's your microphone. I think it's the glass of wine. Uh, welcome to North East South podcast about, but not about design, even more so lately. Uh, this is episode eighty-eight, and I'm opening. It's been my eightieth bottle of beer since we've been doing this show. Other beers have been consumed in between, obviously. I thought you, you're off the beer, though, aren't you? Is this the? It's you know, it's because I haven't got anything else. An off day? I haven't got anything else in. I did just open a bottle of wine that I found, you know, kind of at the back of a cupboard, <laughs> and uh, it would be excellent as um, a red wine vinegar. So. Oh, yes, I, I was having some of that. Uh, you know you know the word hubris, yes. Rob? I was moaning and complaining about clients, mm-hmm. and then my wife came back from a meeting with said clients, and uh, they had a Christmas hamper and some wine for oh. me. How delightful. <laughs> but uh, no, it wasn't them, actually, but I'm using that to use the word hubris. Yes. Uh, so what are you drinking now? You're on the red wine. No, I'm not. I'm having a glass of mash ale, which my wife picked up from somewhere. It's a local brewery. Um, I've had one of those before. It's uh, it's it's a pale ale, but an English mm-hmm. but pale ale, but very sparkly, mm. almost like a lager. Uh, it's quite nice. Uh, I did have some Guinness, but I forgot to put it in the fridge. Uh, uh, and it's they've got one called Mid Strength. That's have weird. You no, seen that? I haven't. Yeah, really weird. It's two point. Eight percent or something really th- low alcohol. I think uh, low alcohol is the is the new craft <laughs> is beer, the isn't new, it? The new pale ale. Yeah. Uh, I had it on Saturday watching the rugby, and uh, I didn't even notice. So oh, there we go. Good. Uh, I'm on the London Pride. Very nice. Uh, I went talking of beer. I went out for lunch today. I'll mention that again a bit later. But uh, I had to take my first pint back because it tasted of Brussels sprouts. <clears throat> It was a pint of, uh, uh, can't remember. But I went back and said, can I swap this for a pint of Timothy Taylor's Landlord? Which is my dad's favourite beer, so I thought I'll be safe with that. And it took the the landlord of the pub five minutes to pull this pint. I was thinking, the barrel's gone, it's off, it's finished. And uh, eventually he managed to pour this pint and I walked back to the table with it and took one sip and it was completely off. It was, it was like a glass of Sarsons. So I had to go swap it for a bottle of lager. He wasn't happy with me. Who, hey, the land? Mm. Why it was fine the first time. She's just like, yeah, of course, oh. sir. And then when I took the second pint back and said, can I just swap this for some Peroni? Because this is definitely off. He just he just looked at me and then slammed the bottle of Peroni down on, on the bar and walked off. Wow. Hey? Which pub was this? It was in Thames Court in Shepparton, which is just okay. a chain, a chain pub. But it's, a, it's a very nice location. Lunch was all right. Uh, is that the one on the river? Yes, on the down on the uh, towpath. Podcast, yeah. We were meant to do one last week, as always, we didn't. But um, I bailed last week, just, didn't I? Yeah, there were there were weather issues as well, weren't there? Yeah, it was so snowy, I couldn't get to the microphone. <laughs> Actually, we got almost no snow here. But if, what for the whole weekend? Yeah, we with a little flurry, like a, oh, a centimeter, oh. and then it disappeared. Well, all oh, oh, right. Oh, we had one flurry, which was. A little scattering, mm. and then uh, and then on Friday afternoon it just snowed. Started snowing in, at lunchtime and didn't stop till the morning. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, we had loads of snow. We had uh, yeah, but I'm for- it rained on Sunday and, and Monday, so it's all gone now. But uh, yeah, no, we had we had lots of fun. And the next door neighbour gave us a sledge, so I ruined myself dragging uh, my my daughter and uh, and her cousin around. <clears throat> um, what's on my drawing board this week? What's on my desk? Yeah. Uh, still working on commissions. I've got a nice steampunky cityscape out of the way this week. Posted off. Client's very happy with that. Um, uh, finished, we were talking about comics in our last episode. I finished Death or Glory by Rick Remender and Bengal, uh, which was brilliant, but not quite brilliant enough for me to think about buying the second volume. Um, you know, it was good, but, you know, I think I've kind of read enough of it. Um, which I was uh, talking to someone at lunch today and I was kind of saying that's kind of my thing in comics. You know, one or two volumes of most things is enough, I think, before the... Yeah, we were talking yeah, about this as well, the, weren't we, a few weeks the ago. the ideas kind of... <clears throat> it really is true. It 
course. Yeah, they don't need to be eight volumes. No. Uh, and speaking, speaking of things that you know might be a good idea but don't necessarily have legs, I watched Night Flyers on Netflix, which is big new sci-fi series uh, from based on a novel by George R. R. Martin. Well, oh, this this popped up last night when I was yeah. watching, uh, and it's thing. like uh, it's um, a bit uh, Event Horizon, a bit two thousand and one. Um, but my problem with it, as with most serious sci-fi, is one: it's serious to the point where there, no one cracks a smile in the whole show. I mean, it is sci-fi horror, but still, even with the worst things happen, you know, there's black humor and gallows humor. Um, so it's unrelentingly dour, this show. And also, like uh, Prometheus, the uh, alien prequel, it's full of supposedly clever people who just make really stupid decisions to that progress the plot. You know, I... That is quite true to life, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but not with scientists, is it? No. You know, you populate a ship with scientists that's travelling out into unknown space to make first contact, as this, as the premise of this show is. Uh, and, and people just don't make that. You know, you don't get kind of reckless, maverick people in those situations, do you? I know that would, might make for a very dull programme, but, you know, everyone being idiots is just stupid. <clears throat> I, I watched the latest Alien film. Uh, I don't Covenant. think I've mentioned this, have I? Covenant. Um, wow. What a uh, what a mess. Best thing that about was. that is it's better than Prometheus. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of the of the penny whistle bit? I thought it was absolutely <laughs> awful. Uh, I really thought it was it was a dreadful film. Um it was like there were bits of video game in there, weren't yes. there? There's a fight on a platform yes. towards the end. Uh and uh, the deaths aren't scary. There wasn't anything scary no. in it. Uh, you didn't care anything for any of the people, really. You wanted them all to get it. Yeah, I like the um, start. I think the start of it's quite good. Um, just with the you know the ship kind of landing on the on the planet, I think that kind of starts quite well. And uh, the production values are great. You know, a lot of it looks good, but uh, yeah, bit. Bit rubbish. It's just when you've got a a thing of you know the the main subject of horror is so destructive and so uh, eviscerating in one. It just it's it you know in a single element. Mm. And when there's multiple of them, or there's that kind of you don't know how many there are out there. It kind of it just it it dissolves that, doesn't yeah. it? It, it um, dilutes that whole that whole scariness of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Know? This basically, this planet is is has got an alien on it that is way way harder than the original alien. And you're like, well, hang on a sec. What? <laughs> you know, how hard can you make it for these people? Mm. Um, and yeah, it has. It's just yeah. It was just. It was bilge. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. But I, I saw the preview of that that one. Uh, the George. Yeah, Martin. night flies. And my God, it was a slow sort of torturous scene of a rotating satellite spaceship <clears throat> yep. around a planet. And I'm like, right, I'm done. Mm. It's, <laughs> I can't um, watch another it's one. It's one of those things that I only finished watching it yesterday or the day before. And I think by tomorrow I'll have forgotten about it completely. You know, there's nothing in it that sticks with you really. Yeah, where's the humour and the uh, and wit. the excitement and the sort of, and the wit yeah. and the and the relationship building? Mm. Um it was, what was that show with uh, Sean Penn that was on Channel 4 recently? I, I've only watched the first three or four. Oh, um, I was enjoying first. it. It was going on a bit. The first. But um, that's kind of, that's good sci-fi, right? I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Sadly, I, I have on, been. it has hmm. been ditched. There's right. going to be no second series. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, how am I going to get my Sean Penn yeah. top list? You know, he's great though, isn't he? Now. He's yeah. really good in that. He's so sinewy yeah. and... Yeah, he, he, yeah, it's a, I, yeah, I had problems with it, but what was really good was that it didn't talk about technology and it wasn't kind of, uh, it was, it was good in that kind of, uh, Black Mirror type of, uh, of slightly in the future, you know, that was a really uh, just a few days in the future. Really good looking show. Uh, talking of sinewy, uh, 
I've, how's how's your regime going? I've started. No, <laughs> I've started. Uh, I've started life drawing classes, John. Yes. Um, so I've had two. First week well we had uh, a sinewy old old man. I was going to say mm. old chap, but uh, an old <laughs> sinewy old man uh, posing for us, uh, and it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Really nice place at Richmond Art School. As as. Uh, about 15 of us the first week. I was the only guy there, apart from the tutor and the model, with kind of quite a lot of grey-haired um, older ladies. Um, and I really enjoyed the environment of being taught, even though it kind of wasn't, you weren't, you know, kind of really technically taught. You know, the tutor would come around and kind of give you some ideas and, pointers and he'd perhaps you know suggest where you've gone wrong or what you could do to make it better uh but it wasn't like a lesson um but i really enjoyed it and then week two uh the model didn't turn up so we drew we we, a couple of the the ladies uh stepped in fully clothed um and posed for the first half and the second half we drew a, a model of skeleton which i really enjoyed um but it's fab. I really, I'm really enjoying it. I'm booked in again this Saturday. Um, yeah, I like it a lot. I recommend it. It's nice to be around people who are kind of wanting to learn something new or wanting to learn to draw and who are interested in it. Yeah. Um, There's no competition. No. Nobody's trying to outdo yeah, anybody. Everyone's just really They're just interested yeah, in the yeah. in the act of making yeah. it rather than the finished yeah, product. Everyone's really encouraging. I mean, it was difficult. Yeah, you know, I haven't done life drawing for 25 years. And so that in itself was difficult. And then just using charcoal is difficult compared to what I normally do. And the scale of things, you know, working on A1 size um, is difficult compared to my usual kind of really small, tight drawings. Um, and I didn't realise my arm would ache quite, quite as much as it mm. did, John. So did you, uh, is it just a turn up and draw kind of thing or do you have to book? It is. You, you book ahead, right. um, but it's a week by week pay-as-you-go thing. Uh, and is it the one in Twickenham? It's no. Because um, their art college used to be there. Yeah, uh, it's, I don't know, did it? Um, but it's, at, you know, the roundabout, uh, not the roundabout, the uh, car park on the 316 as you go into Richmond. Yeah. It's just, just there. By there. Yeah. Uh, great yeah, great stuff well if you want to go and see Rob drawing and you live in West London mm. Saturday mornings yeah pop ahead pop along go and go and put him off his nudist stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and sticking with uh, art the other thing I've been doing is uh, my mum and a friend of the family wanted me to help them out they've they've been doing some drawings between them so kind of picking a, a picture and drawing it and they wanted me to get involved, so I've kind of we've started this little art club. So I'm setting a a little task each week and sending them a, a photograph to draw. Um, and that again is really nice. I'm kind of trying to pick things that I'm I'm not setting them spaceships or robots to draw. Um, so things that are a, a bit different for me to draw as well. Um, but it's quite nice sort of giving a bit of feedback on stuff that other people have done, and these are the kind of things that you miss out on when you're working from home that you don't get um that you would normally have in a studio environment so yeah it's been quite an arty week uh, and then today i had lunch with um alistair little who's a brilliant uh artist who i met on not there's not the twitter. chef no an artist i met on twitter right uh, so he's only down the road so we met up in shepparton for lunch today um i just had a good chinwag about art and the business of art and painting and kind of social media and the whole kitten caboodle. Um, right. so that was good. How can you find his you stuff? You can go to alistairlittle.com and wow. revel in his beautifully kind of nostalgic paintings of mid-century boxing. He's just had a um, a show of, that was his last show. Um, and it's fantastic stuff. Really atmospheric, moody that reminds me a little bit of some of the figurative painting of uh, Stephen Conroy, who's a Scottish artist. Um, yeah, that's my week. 
What about you, John? Well, it sounds like you've had fun. It's been good. I, I have. I have certainly not had fun. Oh. Uh, life in commercial design. Um, but think I'm going to completely ignore all the things that I've been doing uh, at work. But um, I've been. I've got some card games on my desk. Uh, can ask <clears throat> You can ask. Yes. <laughs> um, they. Uh, I played a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think just after the podcast, I played Magic: The Gathering. I don't know if oh. I said that on the no, I don't think so. Uh, which I'd never played before, and I know that it was um, it's a really old game. It kind of replaced Dungeons and Dragons mm. um, when Dungeons and Dragons was first popular, and it's a kind of collectible combat game, but it's got really simple uh, combat mechanics on it. And the reason I'm playing them is because uh, me and friend Alex are making a game. This is exciting so, stuff. And, it, and it's and it's based on this kind of on this uh, simple combat. So it's for it's for it's for kids. And um, so we wanted to make it as simple as possible, but we want to make the cards quite um, re- really nice looking. Um, but we're, so we're trying out different games um, to see if we can, you know borrow some mechanics mm-hmm. <clears throat> um so yeah we've we, we've tried magic the gathering the problem with magic the gathering was that it's collectible cards so some of the cards were really really powerful and you could win easily if they were in your hand right. you would you would beat most people in competition um and they are they they go on ebay for hundreds and hundreds of pounds wow. uh, these cards um so They've now the same guy. I can't remember his name. He's made a, a new game called Keyforge, which is um, using it uses a new technology. They call it, but uh, we we'd call it variable printing, where every single box of cards that you buy, which are about eight, they're not expensive, yeah. about eight quid, and you can play the game. But they're all unique. Okay. So not that you might get cards that are shared across, but the, the pack itself, the hand that you have is, is unique. Yeah. Um, and the multiplications they've done is, is crazy if you go on the website. So we're testing that one out and we've got another game called Epic, which is kind of a similar game, but much more stripped back and bare and basic. And we're playing with a game, the working title. Hmm, not sure I should give it away, really. Uh, but uh, it's kind of a fight between light and dark. Um, so we're kind of using... You know, do you remember the game Othello? Did yeah. you ever play that yeah. as a kid? I, I, I don't I think I ever it. played it. I knew of it. All right. I love that as a kid, right. you know, where you've got this board and with the You have to uh, turn all the counters white. over, don't you? Yeah, so if you surround a row of white with black, they all turn mm-hmm. to black. Yeah. And you're constantly playing this backwards and forwards. So we're kind of playing with that... Uh, the concept of of uh, every human has a dark side and a light side, and it you can flip them, and by using too much magic, you turn from good to bad, and vice versa. That sounds good. Uh, so yeah, so we, uh, but at the moment we're just playing literally with numbers and um, and just working out how it's gonna how it's gonna play out. Um, so that's good. And and my mate Alex runs a games club for uh, the local high school. So he's got, he's really tapped into loads of kids playing all sorts of games every lunch. He's really got a popular little club cool. there. Um, so we're going to be, we're going to have, we've got a whole load of testers for yeah, it. Yeah, good plan. Uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah, that. I look forward Just to it. Just go find, find some time. Oh. But, uh, yeah, last night I was games night and we played a brilliant game, um, which is called Mansions of Madness. And it's a, it's a tabletop game. So you play with a board and you've got little characters. Um, so it's a bit like Cluedo. I was going to say, the, the board looks a little bit like Cluedo, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's um, HP Lovecraft uh, world where you're investigators. So you can take on the role of, um, there's about six or eight different characters that you can play uh-huh. with various various different abilities. Yeah, you know, there's a <clears throat> an upper class chap and you could really do it as a... Uh, as a dinner party or a weekend away where you all dress up as those characters. Cause it's sort of set in the 1920s, thirties. Um, and it's kind of cool of Cthulhu type era. Yeah. Uh, and you get a phone call and you have to go investigate a house that's had a haunting. Um, but the really nice mechanic of it, and a lot of people have got a problem with this, but I haven't at all because it works so well is that it comes with an app. So you're playing a board game and, but the app, drives the game and what it does is it simplifies setup so if you're you know if you play these kind of companion games 
they often have to have a dungeon master yeah. or uh, somebody who <clears throat> oversees the bad side. Um, but this, the app does it. I think that's and fantastic. It does it, it does it really cleverly because it not only does that, but it does all the, uh, works out all the combat. And so it tells you when to roll dice and it tells you uh, what rooms are coming up and uh, it can spawn random characters uh, around the, so you, for example, in the one we were playing last night, you get, um, you've upset a, uh, you've interrupted a cultist meeting where they're trying to summon some beast from the deep. Um, so all of these kind of clerics keep coming in and they randomly spawn and try and attack you. Sounds great. I um, love the idea of a, an app being the dungeon master. It's quite yeah, daunting well, if you're not experienced kind of running a game like that. It just yeah, means everyone can would- actually play and have fun, doesn't it? That that was the the complaint with the first edition and and why they've come up with this it is it's, it there is there are lots of games that have tried this in the past but I think this one does it really really well the the illustrations are absolutely fantastic and that kind of setting that kind of uh, Agatha Christie style you're in a country house mm-hmm. and it's a bit spooky crossed with kind of um, Silent Hill type PlayStation uh, sounds yeah. and uh, doors opening and all that kind of stuff. Plus this sort of visceral three-dimensional did, game. Did you play playing. it by candlelight? <laughs> we played it in, in a dim light, uh, but we didn't, we didn't finish it actually. But that's another great thing is that sometimes these games can go on for hours, but all you do is you literally, you shut down the app. It remembers where you are, take a photo of the board. That's brilliant. And you can set up and play the next week. So Thoroughly, thoroughly recommend. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to get over and um, play one of these games. With yeah, you. it's not it's not cheap though. I think it's like sixty or seventy yeah. quid. But you get a lot of, a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. It's really does it come really with lovely. it comes with little cool little character figures and things? Does it? Yeah, it comes with miniatures. Um, you get about twenty or thirty figures. Oh, they're tentacles, John. There are loads of tentacles, cool. mate, and giant beasts. There are real some really big. Oh wow. You know, at least a uh, ten-inch high Blimey. characters. Yeah, and Al- Alex, who's got the game, is a brilliant painter. So uh, I look forward to seeing those yeah. painted up. Um, so yeah, uh, board games carrying on with them because I absolutely love them. Mm. Um, I'm not growing up; I'm getting older. Next week, uh, I'll be one step closer to fifty. Uh, but I'm reading lots of comics as well. <laughs> brilliant. Another thing, uh, yeah, so I've, st- I've read some of the comics that I um, bought with you about three mm-hmm. weeks ago. Uh, one I really loved, um, the Bone novel, uh, graphic novels, which are a series of kind of fantasy type novels with these weird kind of bone creatures um, that have been expelled from their village and they go to, they find a, a hidden valley and it's all the adventures that they have there. And it's kind of funny and silly. Uh, I really loved it. It's by a chap called Jim Smith. Uh, I think there is nine or ten of the novels, so I don't know when they started writing it. But um, Matt Groening's a big fan, yeah. according to the blurb on the back of the book. Um, really, really enjoyed that. I didn't enjoy the New York Times bestseller, which was the kind of meta thing that I was talking about last time, Adventure Quest. Mm. Uh, I thought the comic book was it, it was flat. And I, I imagine that the podcast is fun, but this wasn't great that's a share yeah so do you want to get on with some news or <laughs> but I'll, I'll start with um in recent weeks there's been a lot on my twitter uh timeline about credit um so a few weeks ago um it was a lot about crediting or how much credit children's authors get so whether they get the credit that they're due for kind of co-creating things. Um, you know, if you think a, an awful lot of children's books really are a collaboration between the author who has simply written the words and the illustrator who, you know, puts all the, the life into the visuals, you know, might design the characters and draws the scenes. Um, and uh, Sarah McIntyre, who is Jabberworks on Twitter, she's an illustrator and writer, She's been banging the drum for kind of proper credit for illustrators for quite a long time. She's got a, a, a thing called Pictures Mean Business, which is all about how you can properly credit illustrators. And it's quite geared towards um, the business side of things. So in um, kind of bestseller lists and book listings and things, a lot of publishers don't, 
properly categorize illustrators. So they they might not even get their name on the kind of official listings of books. So if you might look at a, a successful children's author on the kind of bestseller list, and it might you know you might be able to work out that they've sold you know three million books. And you might look at a really successful illustrator, and because the they've not been credited and listed properly in the kind of databases, you know they might have you know two and a half thousand book sales, whereas actually it's you know a hundred times that. Um, so she's kind of working hard to get publishers to credit illustrators better and for Nielsen, who do a lot of the market data, um, to work with publishers to credit illustrators better. Um, and she also talks about, um, when publishers talk about books, you know, they should talk about the book by author and illustrator rather than, you know, Julia Donaldson's new book. It's Julia Donaldson and Axel Scheffler's book. Um, uh, so that's kind of the book side of things. And in comics, there's been a lot of just recently kind of still going on now. Declan Shelby in particular has kind of been, uh, sort of following this. I mean, Jeff Stokely as well, who are both comic writers and illustrators. Um, the artists, comic artists do not get credited when new comics are announced. Even some of the top artists just don't get mentioned. So it'll be, you know, there's a new book out by whatever writer and there's no mention of the comic artist. And it's the same when you see, you know, Netflix has optioned Jeff Lamar's comic, whatever, for a series or, you know, Rick Remender's comic <coughs> for a new series. And it's, there's no mention of the artists who co-create. And I can't mm. remember who it was on Twitter, but they were saying that a comic artist is effectively the director, art director, set decorator, props designer, costume designer, and every single one of the actors in a comic. You know, they, they perform all those roles. Uh, so it's really important that that credit is given, I think. Yes. But I'm not sure that uh, authors, because they kind of hold the key don't mm. they, to that. Um, yeah, no, that, 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 is, that is really true. Uh, it's funny, though, when I read, um, I think we talked about this years ago, about um, I never really used to think about um, who drew, say, Dennis the Menace, mm-hmm. or that was never really credited, and the artists were never credited. Yeah. But I always thought artists first. Uh, even with 2000 AD, it was always artists first. Yeah, it was for me. And n- n- now it's the other way around. And I still, in my head, don't see the writer as being the most important draw for me in terms of to- storytelling in a comic, because I don't get the pleasure from storytelling in comics. I love reading novels yeah. and I love literature. So I don't get that same amount of thrill. I get the thrill from the cool visuals and the kind of the situations that the character might be exactly. put in. But I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah, I think that it should be the other it's way around. It's a visual medium, it isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. And it, it's difficult. I guess with children's illustrators, it's it's different because often I imagine the book has already been written and the illustrator is put together with the writer uh, for, for first time. Writers. First time, probably. Um, but I think, you know, I think, I, I don't think you could say that J- Julia Donaldson's success would be the same without Alex Schiffer. No. It, it just, just wouldn't, doesn't compute, no, does it? Absolutely I mean, he, not. It's his art that, brings those books which sometimes are a bit actually you know some of the i've read quite a few of them to be honest but the uh, some of them are a bit rubbish yeah um but the art is always the, great the art is amazing yeah um but uh yeah i i i, I agree with that sentiment th- in some ways i think it's easier <laughs> um, you know this is treading on dodgy ground but uh i think it's easier for in some ways for a writer to to just turn something in you know, whereas an illustrator, I think it's it's possibly more difficult for them to just uh, do the bare minimum. I think so. I think if this is raising uh, illustrators, not necessarily uh, their profile, because I don't think day-to-day people really, you know, outside of creative industry, illustrators are kind of... <laughs> they're not really seen as a, you know, a rock. They don't have a rock star status, no. but I think if it's raising their 
ability to be paid and to be respected and to earn money that allows them to keep on creating, then I'm all for it. Um, I, I do worry though, we are complaining a lot about complaining (laughs) and if the artist is being paid and respected within the circle of the job, then it's kind of, that's enough. I think, I think it all comes, comes back to the business of getting paid and for it to be fair. And I think that credit equal credit does have an impact on that. I think it works the other way around as well. You know, some illustrators are going to have a huge following and publishers and writers would do well to recognize that when they're talking about their books, because it's a, like you said, you know, you might be drawn to art in comics and kids are certainly going to be drawn to art in books. You know, it's, it's doubling your kind of scope, isn't it? If you can appeal as a writer to the, the illustrator's audience as well. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's been the gripe that's been consuming Twitter. Uh, ah, but it's a good gripe, and yeah. also it's nice to see debate going on that doesn't involve politics or um, you know hate between yes. large groups of people. Absolutely, yeah, it's all very civilized. Um, yeah. So, what have you got news-wise? Um, news in today: Walkers have redesigned their crisp packaging to focus on Britishness. Because, you know, there's nothing says Britishness than a crisp yeah. that is flavoured in a ridiculous... Yeah, prong cocktail crisps. I mean, I, I, I was cross already today, but when I read this, oh my God, it really uh, it really hit, hit, the, uh, hit the highs. Um, so all they've done is uh, overlay, uh, it looks like an explosion, and uh, the Union Jack uh, is, is, is overlaid over the normal kind of crisp packet. Mm-hmm. You were angry, so, John. Yeah. Well, I'm not that angry, but uh, I am angry because, right, okay, so, uh, there's all sorts of rubbish written here and there's there's a whole load of comments going on when I was reading it. Uh, one, The first person uh, is a chap called Mike Dempsey and he says, are we really expected to view this as design? Really? Come on, Design Week. Please have some credibility. This is commercial rubbish along with the product. Why bother to show it? And that question in itself is the interesting part of the article because it really says it really brings into focus what is design and what where do you stop you know when does it become acceptable for design to be talked about well Uh, you know i mean a crisp packet is the ultimate sort of leveler of design um there's a huge diatribe in a reply by a chap called stephen holmes who i think goes the other way and gets it really really wrong and he says you know blah 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 it's um it's not fine art or something to be aimed at the middle classes and his taste uh the product being rubbish they sold 77 million kilograms of crisps in the uk um okay well let's not talk about amounts being uh worthy but the problem is that uh the big conversation that i think should be happening here is their packets of crisps are not recyclable mm. yeah where are the recyclable packet of crisps? Yeah. Rather than redesigning Yeah, particularly something. they talk about the kind of new feel they've given to them, like a gloss, a mixture of gloss and matte finish on the bags and stuff. It's absolutely disgusting. Yeah, they and they, they are saying that they, they will try to make all of their packaging 100% recyclable, compostable, or biodegradable by 2025. <laughs> That's just ridiculous, isn't it? It is Insane. And I understand that they are churning out millions of packets mm. and the machinery that is required to do that probably cannot be adapted in any way. But I imagine that the reason that they're not going to recycle is because of cost. Yeah. But they can pay large amounts of money to have their packets redesigned to claim a Britishness that is at the worst possible time to try and claim to be British in this country, according to 48.9% of the yes. people here. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I think it's a, a huge misstep for walkers. Um, but what do they care? They are um, they're literally everywhere, aren't they? And, all on the streets and they're owned by blowing Pepsi out Cola. Is that right? Yeah. Well done, Pepsi Cola. Yeah. I did uh, my only comment on I this on, Coke. That, on our notes was: Do they come in gammon flavour? <laughs> perfect for the Brexit market. I think. I am. Um, yeah, it made me made me really cross. Mm. Uh, I haven't seen any of the newer comments on there, but I wouldn't bother. It's design week. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. So that was my first thing that annoyed me. 
Um, is is there more than one annoyed. thing that's annoyed you this week, John? Oh, I'm being I'm so cross today. I had to go for a walk. Um, <laughs> no, 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 the second thing isn't didn't make me cross. Uh, Netflix has updated its ident. And if you ever want a great example of post-rationalization, yeah. whereby in that we mean uh, doing something that looks really nice and cool and then going back afterwards and making it seem like it was really thought about <laughs> before the designer did it, um, is is just watch Netflix New Ident. They say that it, um, it reveals a spectrum of colors that are apparently based on the idea of show thumbnails turned sideways. I'm going to have to watch like this. Like books so on a shelf. I'll knock the sound off. No, it's all right. I'll take... There we go. Ah. Rarely. You're right about the post-rationalisation. Uh, how is that a book on a shelf? That's just ridiculous, isn't it? No. Oh. It's taken the idea that uh, Brendan Dawes made. Did you ever see his amazing bits of art where he took DVDs and then he vertically split the colours... In the whole, so the whole length of a film, yes. he sliced up and made these beautiful pieces yep. of art. That's what they've copied. Yeah. They're not thumbnails of their shows. No. They're just lines of colour. Yeah. It's it's utter bollocks. Mm. But anyway, so they've updated their ident. That's all I've got to say. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it doesn't really jump out at you as... Innovative or new or anything, does it? I mean, no, I probably it, wouldn't have even noticed. It's just an article that doesn't say anything. But that's Design Week all over, isn't it? I mean, let's yeah. be honest. Design Week would fall apart at the seams if it wasn't for PR companies pushing stories to them. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not, they're not reporting on design trends, are they? They're reacting to the stories that are sent to them by PR companies to try and sell more product. Is that too cynical? No. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> my next <clears throat> thing for us to have a look at is um, a tiny little thing that should have been a tweet, which was about Akira, the manga comic. Oh, yeah. Uh, rather than the film of the comic. Uh, and it was this came with a, a, a little clip of a thing about the, the film, about the creator Katsuhiro Otomo. But in particular, the tweet was was about his work on the comic. And it was about, there's a scene in the comic where Neo Tokyo kind of blows up. There's this big energy thing of, thing, and it's, it's represented by this big kind of dome of explosiveness in the comic. And it's like a jet black dome. Uh, it was suggested to Katsuhiro Otomo that he simply painted this sphere black and then drawing any kind of white highlights. And he replied that he'd spent an entire night gradually blackening the sphere with really thin lines. But while you can't see it, since it's a full-view depiction of the blast, there are millions of lives being lost in this panel. If I wanted readers to sense realism in the scene and feel just how significant this event was, that work covering it up in detailed black lines was indispensable. And I thought that was incredible. And it's it, that shows how close to kind of fine art comics can be, I think, because this is not just about the final product, which would have been the same if he'd just painted it black and put on some white highlights. Um, it's about the process and the journey that gets you to that end point. And I thought it was incredible to hear that from a comic artist. Yeah, but it how you wouldn't know that unless you read the notes. I know, and but that's I'm why a big it's, fan of art. But that's why it's like art, isn't it? Because you don't. But you don't read the notes. That if if you read the notes, it ruins the piece for no, you. No, but you don't. Oh, yeah, exactly. You don't read the notes. But that's why it's like art because you don't know that he put that work in in the same way that you don't know the process of a any piece of art, really, do you? No, but how how. Yeah, but his assumption is that somebody will ask me about this, so I can tell you how that pro the is process. It? Or was it just to? purely from a personal point of view? He felt that he had to honour the fictional deaths of these three million people by putting the effort into that panel. I don't know. It is a called post. There's a bit of post rationalisation. Well, no, 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 it was there, called the it? masochism of Katsuhiro Otomo. 
<laughs> uh, but I yeah, that I mean, I, I admire, I admire mm. the uh, the sentiment, if that or the effort, even if that really did happen. Um, <laughs> and I think you'd have to be totally honest about that. In fact, Oliver Jeffers, who is a children's writes children's books, yeah. but also an artist. Yeah. He did that recently, didn't he? He painted portraits of loads of different people and then dipped them in black. Oh, he paint. does. He, did you he see does that? A, a lot of dipped paintings, but I haven't seen yeah. the portrait ones. Yeah, he, uh, which obscures whatever's underneath yeah. it. But he's spent a whole lot of time doing it. Kind of strange. Oh, yeah. but well, it all yeah. harks back to the kind of surrealists and uh, who's it? Was it Duchamp had created an, an artwork? Was it, was it a box or something that was locked, and right. you didn't know what was in it? And yeah. the only way you could find out what was in it would be to destroy the art. Oh. So it's kind like of all harks Noel Edmonds, back. isn't it? And- <laughs> quite sure about that Jeff. I'd like to lock him in a box mm. um, mine's just two tools really and <laughs> talking of Noel Edmonds two tools talking of uh, life drawing <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, every Saturday in Richmond you can see two tools <laughs> uh, <laughs> hang on Hicks. two tools <laughs> John Hicks mentioned this on the podcast that Liz Elcote and kindly she mentioned us uh, that we uh, bigged her up, oh, cool. um, uh, and which was really nice to hear. Um, so, hello, Liz, if you're listening. But um, he recommended an app called Linear Sketch, mm-hmm. which is by a company called Icon Factory. I know them well. Who used to make load millions of icons yeah. and things for um, System Nine. If you use Mac that long ago, yeah. I used to love um, swapping all my system icons for Icon Factory. Yeah, me stuff. too. Ah, those were the days. I I currently use uh, a load of different um, note sort of apps. Uh, Recently, I've been using Good Notes, Mm -hmm. and it's great for making notes and, you know, just using like you would a moleskin or anything, you know, bits of paper. Mm -hmm. But it's drawings bits, you know, it's limited. It's like a biro and a pencil and and a highlighter, and that's it. Uh, Linear is a kind of sits between there and Procreate, really. It's a brilliant, brilliant drawing package. I love it. I think it's, uh, it's got really nice drawing tools. It's got fantastic grids on it. So, um, there's a whole load of built in grids that you can just turn on underneath the, pip, the cool. page. And there's isometric, there's, uh, storyboarding, there's comic books, there's calendars, there's all sorts of things. Um, what they've done really, really nicely is the color palette. Uh, so on the opposite side of where the tools are, you've got live color palettes, which you can just switch colors really, really quickly. One of my big bugbears about procreate Procreate that they still haven't put on is a live, uh, color chooser or mix on the screen. Why? Why isn't it there? It, their color treatment is awful and it's a real pain because if you're painting and you're having to run between Mm. the different tools every time it's a, real, I, it's a real hindrance i tweeted appropriate saying that they should have uh, a companion app for the iphone which is your palette well didn't they have that oh did they didn't i don't think so I they think said they, they could have... they said they couldn't do it when i tweeted right, that okay. one, but i think that but would be brilliant. i think yeah but just having like um there was a an app called painter mm-hmm. uh years ago a coral mm. painter wasn't it yeah and that used to have a really nice sort of uh almost like a a wet palette that you could mix on. Yeah. So you could have your set palettes and then you could pick the, the colors up and mix them together to make inks and then pick from those. So they would almost be like live gooey sort of Brilliant. gouache or whatever. Um, but this one is just a set of three strips of colors. You can customize them if you want, but actually the colors are fine for sketching. Mm-hmm. You know, you it's not for finished art, um, but it's, Fabulous, brilliant, brilliant app, and I think it's really cheap. It's like four ninety nine. I'm going to be trying that. Yeah, really, really recommend it. They're bitmaps, so it's not vector based when you take the sketches out. But for for annotation, it is fantastic. Cool. So yeah, linear sketch. It's called. Brilliant. Um, Yeah, Uh, I can't. What was your other tool? tool. You said two tools. Uh, Two tools. Was it button down? Oh, that's your website. No. Week. Oh, plugins. Astute yeah, plugins. Pl- right. So Illustrator, um, everybody uses Illustrator. Look, all the trendy millennials are using Sketch or whatever. Mm. But um, I think that is a bollock program. <coughs> um, it's really, really rubbish. I love Illustrator. Uh, Illustrator is great. 
it's still as buggy as hell. It, they haven't improved a lot of it for years and years and years. But if you're running it without some astute plugins in it, then you are not taking advantage of all the great things. Mm-hmm. There's a really good deal at the moment. I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's on designcuts.com, which for one of those sort of bargain basement type design yeah. sites that are always selling fonts for five quid, it's a really brilliant site. They do sell some real <coughs> gems. And this one is uh, $19 gets you a couple of their plugins. One one is called uh, Texturino, I think it's called, um, which is a fantastic texture app for illustrator so basically it will just put live masked uh textures inside vector shapes that's brilliant and the second one is just a a thing i don't know what it's called but it's like a first aid kit for vectors so you can um remove all uh points um you can get rid of any it will combine shapes that aren't combined properly kind of cleverly Uh, simplify shapes it's so good it's it's just it's just worth its weight in gold but there are loads of other plugins that they make i think they're a british firm um but i've got quite a few of them i've got phantasm which does loads of uh uh, like bitmap stuff so it will convert to cmyk Mm -hmm. and do all sorts of really cool things um but yeah astute graphics check them out they are they make illustrator brilliant cool another one i'll be picking up yeah that is all my news very cool little bit of photography which was pointed out to me on twitter by present and correct um philip sulk or sulker.com so uh philip with two l's and then s-u-l-k-e.com and he's a photographer and in particular there's he's done a series of uh, aerial shots of cargo boats cargo ships like liners and container ships and they're fantastic just you know he obviously uses a drone and um they they they're just kind of weirdly sort of abstracted because you're seeing these ships you know from directly above and they they're great love them and he's also done a series on I don't know if it's on his actual site or whether it's too new on um the fishermen of, mm. I can't remember which Greek island, but a Greek island, <clears throat> uh, which are a mixture of pictures of fishing boats and the fishermen themselves, and they're tremendous. So really wonderful stuff. But his his website is well worth a look. So philipsulk.com. Yeah, so apparently he can, from his hilltop house, he can. He overlooks the Hudson River in upstate New York, uh, and he can. He uses his Mavic Pro to go outside from his front door clever. and look at ships. Lazy. Um, but so they're clever. all ones that. Yeah, what a lazy bastard! Yeah. Come on, sulky. Hang on, I've got a pie arriving. Oh, thank you, dear. Thank you. Uh, have I got any other news? <clears throat> There's a cool little thought thing that I saw on SwissMist.com which is called Spin, but the I is an exclamation mark. And it's one of those kind of silly little desktop toys, and it's a spinning top. But when you spin it, uh, it looks like there's a hovering exclamation mark. Oh, it's really, I'm going to have a little really, play. It's a really cool a little thing. Does it have piano music? I don't know. I haven't played that video. I played a different video. Oh, yeah. It's cool, it's isn't it? It's an exclamation mark. Silly, Wait. simple but kind of cool. That is very cool. Yeah. Uh, have you got a website of the week, Jonathan? Well, I didn't, but I didn't know what to put in there, but I've put in a an in, a kind of slightly uh, an item of interest um, just to create a debate if we had time. That's really boring, isn't it? But um, Off Screen, which was a magazine, uh, I can't remember the chap who runs it, but um, he's now doing one called Dense Discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so he shut down the magazine, which was a printed magazine about it was lovely sort of people's lives outside of web, but it did involve people getting up at four o'clock in the morning and, right. you know, jogging, like cleansing or, yoga, yoga, flying to work. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, dense discovery is his new kind of thing. And it's just, uh, it's just a, an email and he recommended a new, uh, replacement to ti- a lot of uh, newsletter people use Tiny Letter, which was bought by Mailchimp, and they were talking about shutting it down. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. This is a new v- version of that by an individual who's built 
one called Button Down. So if you're thinking of creating a newsletter for uh, an audience that you might want to talk to regularly, but much like um, Daniel Benamuth Gray does mm. um, and loads of other people create these kind of things. They're not really email newsletters. They're more sort of journals that get updated every so often. Mm-hmm. Then Button Down is a really good free way of doing it. The the point of interest for me is that it's really hard f- for you to commit to that uh, because you don't know if that's suddenly going to go away. And if that is a commercial value to you, you kind of need it to be um, something that ha- has staying power. Mm. So I wonder how long that will stay. But then that sort of brings up the whole thing of, you know, people like Google shutting off entire systems that uh, people are using to make money. Uh, that's it. Sim- similar to Instagram, isn't yeah. it? You know, Instagram now, you cannot find any kind of linear story no. of family members or whatever. It's impossible. Yeah. It really is. It's it's a it's a mess. Well, like isn't you it? say, when, For someone like you, yeah. Um, but when you say, you know, even when the big boys, Facebook or Google or whoever, can shut down a service that you might rely upon, it makes it even riskier, doesn't it, to kind of sign up for something brand new from someone you kind of don't know and to to kind of put any faith in that. It is, and I guess the that kind of drives that whole in indie web kind of make it yourself philosophy uh it's just that things are becoming more and more reliant on systems behind those little mini indie things mm. so you know for example if you've got an uh, an indie app invariably its success is based upon it being sold on apple store yeah. or powered by amazon cloud mm-hmm. or whatever and there are very few um systems that lie outside of those those kind of uh those powerhouses really it's also similar for um uh if you wanted to find out you know what somebody was doing some calculation i think it was in the same newsletter of of what it does to download a gigabyte of data the kilowattage of the energy that you've used Mm. to get that data onto your system is is outrageous yeah and to try to trace the um the heritage of where that came from and and find out you know whether your host for example is using green energy resourceable you know renewable energy is is almost impossible to find um it's harder than trying to find where your salmon came from mm. that's sitting on your plate so yep. um uh, just to add to your general uh, anxiety <laughs> levels yeah <laughs> uh I have got uh, an article on my website of the week. It comes from the truly awfully titled raptitude.com website, which uh, their, their subhead is getting better at being human. And it's it's an article that's a couple of years old. I came across it because I, I found a follow-up article to it. Uh, and it's called, no sniggering at the back, it's called Go Deeper, Not Wider. Um. And it's it's about this concept of a depth year. Have you heard of this? No. So basically, uh, for a year, instead of buying more stuff, taking up new interests, starting new products, uh, new projects, or reading new books, you return to projects that are unfinished or books that are on your shelf that are unread or you return to hobbies that you started and gave up. Um. And uh, the guy that wrote this original article kind of did this follow-up article, and it was all about kind of how it had affected him. And, and it sounds like a really nice idea uh, to to kind of fill in those those half gaps in kind of in your your life and your head that you that might be causing you anxiety because it's stuff that's unfinished. So rather than replacing that with more stuff that you might not finish. It's uh, it's about going back and completing things and stuff. So it's called the the, the theory is called a uh, depth year, and I like it. Yeah, I've I, I think I've done this a few times. You know, where yeah. I just stop buying stuff, don't watch anything new, or just catch up on loads of stuff. But I d- I didn't know it was a it was it's a, a thing movement, on the John. internet. 
it's a movement of course it is um the depth it does sound like uh, a lot of people are sort of uh are wishing for some kind of um holocaust or, uh, <laughs> or, or armageddon where you're sitting in your bunker and you're you're twiddling your thumbs and you think oh yes those um those harmonica lessons that i started <laughs> yeah <laughs> wouldn't that be uh you know i need to learn how to play the last post um or uh yeah no um i I I get that. I get it with uh mostly I get it with cooking books and mm. you know recipe books because you kind of skip have through you, them. Have you gone back to your Fanny Craddocks this year? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> uh no, I haven't touched <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. I'll just wipe <laughs> these tears from my eyes. Uh, it's uh, it's Christmas, John. Or at least it, was, is, it? it is in my freezer. You what? Uh, I've, 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 uh, through culinary archaeology, I found a, a Christmas pie at the back of the freezer. Oh. So it's a higgity Christmas pie. And it is uh, turkey and apparently a surprisingly fruity stuffing. Um so, I th- I, I've got this to look forward to. Have you got that I've seen one in the freezer. I saw it dimly, um, you know. I was just checking it was hot because uh, it hadn't actually defrosted properly. <clears throat> it was quite nice puff pastry on the top with a uh, little toasted, they're not sesame seeds, they're some other kind of seed. Let's uh, go in. It smells. It's, uh, it is 100% adequate. Yeah, it's fine. I'll give it a 5.3. Mm. There's no more to, be, all over, isn't it, there's really? no more to be said about it, yeah. What have you got? I've got a Waitrose pork chicken and ham mm. pie, which is a bit like a a pork pie crossed with a game pie. Mm. Loads of jelly. <clears throat> um, it was on special offer. It's a really nice dark crust. Was this from the deli counter then? Yeah. Nice. Mm. It's really good. I had a nibble earlier when it came out of the fridge and it didn't taste of anything, but now it it needs a little bit of time. It's really nice. And what's good about uh, adding a bit of ham to pork is that it gives it a bit more sweetness. Pork can be a bit dry, can't it? Mm. Well, chicken doesn't do anything. I'm quite jealous of your pie. The jelly is fantastic. It's about, I would say that's a good eight mil round there. Yeah. Nice. Might have it's to like get something you'd, you'd seal, you know, that would be over the, the top of an alien that had landed in the uh, ice yeah. and there's all that <laughs> lying underneath. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give that. I've I've already had this before and I have marked it, but I'm going to give it a seven. Oh, I thought it was going to be more than so, that. Oh, that's a good, isn't well, it? Well, it's brilliant for you. It's a worthy pie. Yeah. But Not I a bad thing at all. It. And, you know, under £1.20 for brilliant. 100 grams. Brilliant. We did say mm. last week we said uh, that we were going to try and get we're a good. We're going to get better we're pies. We're going to get posh pies in. Mm. So if we manage to squeeze another podcast in before my holiday, uh, which is in thirteen days' time, then we should do good pies. Good pies for good pies. Say our good pies. Yes. Do you get um, pies out in? Weirdly, yes. Tropical paradise. Yes. Uh, the the cuisine is uh, because they have people from all over the world. They cater to everyone's tastes but things sometimes get a little bit mangled i think in translation so it's not unknown to get offered a pie for breakfast oh yeah um so yeah i've got that to look forward to you've got to eat it well, of course it comes. of course well they just come up to you with a pie the chef will morning the chef will sometimes come out with a little uh, <laughs> morning mr like turpin little, here's a pie come out with like a little tray you know, like if you yeah. go to a, a craft beer place no. and they uh, no, they'll, really. they'll bring out a little wooden thing with some some drinks on it, like in no. holes. They'll they'll do that with pies. Really? Yeah. I've got to go on one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Butlins has improved yeah. since I was there. Yes, absolutely. I'll take pictures if we get offered pies for breakfast. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Live streaming. <laughs> I will. Yeah, good idea. Uh, right. So it's done. We're done. Uh, so we'll, go, we'll try and squeeze another one in before yeah, uh, Rob goes away to his luxury um, bond lair. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, uh, if we're not back, then you'll know where we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening. Um, that was very interesting. It was. Good to talk as to you as always, say. Jonathan. Cheerio. Oh dear.